Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you guys about the Taliesin murders. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more crime over coffee content by signing up for our patreon you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content to check out this opportunity and sign up for the crime over coffee patreon visit www.patreon.com slash crime over coffee pod thank you again for all of your support I'm going to give a little bit of an intro to this in a really weird, strange way. I'm sure we've talked about it before. Erica and I are both really big fans of Gilmore Girls. And there's a scene on one of the episodes where they talk about the architect Frank Lloyd Wright and pretty intense story that happened. And I remember growing up and hearing it and I thought it was like just a bit in the show. And then... I think some of you guys know, I just recently got my master's in historic preservation. I learned a lot about Frank Lloyd Wright, and I was like, I wonder if that's even... I wanted to look up the story, basically. And I found out it was true. (laughs) And this was relatively recently. So for those of you who don't know, Frank Lloyd Wright was an American architect. He was world famous. He's probably one of the most well-known architects ever. He designed over a thousand structures. Over 500 of those were built. He was really credited for having architecture that designed the building in with the landscape surrounding it. So it wasn't as aggressive as some of the more modern structures you see today. I won't go too deep into it because I know we're not all architecture nerds like I am a little bit. (laughs) I've never heard of him. Even when you told me that he was in a Gilmore Girls episode or scene, still nothing. I don't even know what scene it was. Yeah, they mentioned him, and I'll, I'll tell you more about it maybe if I remember at the end, but I don't want to give too much away by going through the scene. But I just thought it was funny that that's what reminded me of this. He was well-known throughout his life for architecture, as I mentioned, and this you know, kind of stemmed starting in the early 1900s and through the 20th century. He was married to his wife, Catherine, and they eventually had six kids together. In 1903, he was commissioned by Edwin Cheney to design a house for himself. At this time, Edwin was married to his wife, Martha Borthwick Cheney. And this is when Frank Lloyd Wright met Edwin and Martha. And from this meeting and working together to design this house, basically an affair started between Frank Lloyd Wright and Martha Cheney. At this time, Martha and her husband had had two kids together, but basically she met Frank Lloyd Wright and she was like basically in awe by him. He was a very, like I said, world-renowned, famous architect. He was very creative and he had this look on the world that was probably pretty exciting for a woman to meet. Martha was, she was smart, she was educated, she had a bachelor's degree and a master's degree from Michigan University and she was working as a translator but she met Frank Lloyd Wright and in 1909 they actually ran off to Europe together and spent time there together 
Did they just leave their families behind? Yes. Okay. I do believe Frank Lloyd Wright was doing something, maybe working. I can't remember exactly, but they traveled around Europe. I think they were in Italy for a while. I think I saw they were in Germany at one point. While they were in Europe, Martha actually divorced her husband, Edwin. However, Catherine was not willing to sign the papers and go through the divorce with Frank Lloyd Wright for a number of reasons and fair or unfair, however you want to look at it. 1910, Martha and Frank Lloyd Wright returned to America. And at this point, like I said, he's still married to Catherine, although Martha had divorced Edwin. And so what Frank Lloyd Wright did was he actually had asked his mom at the time to buy a plot of land in Spring Green, Wisconsin, and he designed and had a house built and a studio built in 1911. And this house was called Taliesin, um, often referred to as the Love Cottage or the Castle of Love because basically it was a house for him and his mistress to have together, even though he was still married to Catherine. And of course, people in the area, because of the time period, And I mean, now it would probably be frowned upon as well, but especially in this time period, neighbors and people around really had a a distaste for the situation. It was known, everyone knew what was going on, but this is just what it was. And so along with Frank Lloyd Wright being known as like this architectural genius, he was also known as being a total asshole. That is his reputation. And They go hand in hand. He knew he was great at what he did, and he took advantage of it, basically. The fact that he had a mistress, when you told me that, I immediately, in my head, placed him as a giant asshole. So it doesn't surprise me that that's just what he was anyways. Right. Yeah, there's a long line of instances from people he worked with or people who commissioned him to design houses or buildings. He he just had a really bad reputation in that sense. Yeah, as you mentioned, yes, if you're cheating on your wife that you have six kids together with, with another woman, and then building a house for her, it's not necessarily the most stand-up dude. I've got a quote from him about the situation that I think will sum it up really well. He said, quote, Great. Yeah. (laughs) Quote, Two women were necessary for a man of artistic mind, one to be mother of his children and the other to be his mental companion, his inspiration and soulmate. Laws and rules are made for the average. The ordinary man cannot live without rules to guide his conduct. It is infinitely more difficult to live without rules, but that is what the really honest, sincere thinking man is compelled to do, end quote. So he basically is saying, yeah, average people shouldn't cheat on their wives. I'm above average. The rules don't apply. And I'm actually a stronger man because I can live by my own rules. I absolutely 100% (laughs) disagree with this man. Most people have their mother of their children and their soulmate or the person they love or their mental companion is the same person. (laughs) Ideally. I don't think it's something to brag about for you to have two people because you can't find enough of that in one person that just I think that says more about you than it does anything else Mm -hmm. and not in a good way and not like in a I'm better off than people because I can no that's just cocky and narcissistic and he is a giant asshole yeah and there's a quote I found on an NPR article and it said about Frank Lloyd Wright 
He was a genius, of course, but also an arrogant narcissist. And I think that sums it up really well. Yeah, we are 10 minutes into this episode and I already am very well aware (laughs) that he is a narcissistic (laughs) asshole and very arrogant. Yeah, it's unfortunate because his work is truly, really great. And so many of his buildings and homes he designed are like just renowned for how great they are. I've been to a handful of them and they're all beautiful, but yeah, he sucked. (laughs) So this all brings us to August 15th, 1914. Frank Lloyd Wright was away. He was in Chicago working on the design of the Midway Gardens, which is another pretty big name thing that he designed. But we're not going to worry about that. Right now we're talking about Taliesin. And this is where Martha was living. And at this point, her two kids were visiting. At this point, her daughter was eight years old. Her name was Martha as well. And then they had a 12-year-old son named John. And this was from her previous marriage with Edwin. Around lunchtime, she had sat down at the table on the porch at Taliesin with her two kids. They were going to have some soup for lunch, I believe. And then inside where the main dining room was, a little ways away from the porch, some of Wright's laborers, workers were there as well. So we have five of his employees, Emil Brodell, Thomas Brunker, David Lindblom, Herbert Fritz, and William Weston, as well as Weston's son, Ernest, who was 13 years old. And they're all sitting at the dining room table and they were going to have lunch as well. So because of the caliber of Frank Lloyd Wright at this time, they had laborers, aid workers, and they had... People who worked in the house to do gardening, to cook their food, to serve them and do the household task as well. And at this time, 30-year-old Julian Carlton from Barbados was working as a handyman and a servant for Taliesin. He had been there all summer and had also brought his wife Gertrude with him as well. Apparently, there's not a lot known about him, but he did have good enough credentials to get hired on to work there. And... I guess he had previously worked for some prominent Chicago caterer, but that's about all we have. So like I said, it's lunchtime and Julian Carlton serves a soup to Martha and her kids and on the porch and then to the other people in the dining room. And the dining room, again, it's a little ways away. And with how the house was designed, it was made to kind of like have these separate rooms that were not, it's not a big open layout by any means. So after the food is served, Carlton asks Weston if it's okay if he goes over to the tool shed to grab some gasoline because he was going to clean up some soiled rugs, which I guess was a thing back in the time I kind of looked. You could use gasoline to freshen up upholstered furniture and clean stuff, which seems insane to me. That seems extremely dangerous for many reasons. I'm glad we got away from that, though. Yeah, I'm sure they realize that gas is pretty flammable and it's probably shouldn't be used in household items. Yeah, I think so. Really good way to explode your house, though. Seems like a fair assumption. Julian goes to grab the gasoline, but he also comes back with an axe. That doesn't seem to go together. I mean, those two things could go together depending on what you're doing, but I don't think they're used together to clean carpet. I, well, yeah, that's yeah, no. Uh, I'm not sure what the axe is going to do, unless he's chopping the carpet up into small pieces. But I'm assuming it's not the carpet he's chopping. No, it is not. And here is where I'm going to preface and say it's about to get a little violent. And so just want to give you guys some discretion there. 
This is a very, this is a very violent scene that I'm about to tell you about. But I, of course, won't go into a ton of detail, obviously. As Martha and her kids were eating, Julian came up and hit Martha in the back of her head with the axe, which, as you could imagine, did a lot of damage and she ended up passing away. And he very quickly turned to her son and did the same thing. The daughter had tried to run off, but she was a young girl and he was a full grown man and he caught up to her and hit her four times with the axe in the head and all of them ended up passing away from these wounds. As I mentioned before, this is a very large house and how it's designed. Different rooms are private. There's not a lot of sound that carries through. And we'll include photos of the house on our social media for you guys to look at as well. You can also just Google it and probably find it as well. All the people in the dining room had no idea what was happening. And at one point, Herbert Fritz, which was one of the draftsmen, he was 19 years old at the time, He's at the table, and from his account, they all kind of noticed something flowing under the door from the courtyard. And they're thinking, oh, it's maybe just some, like, soap and some, like, suddy water that had spilled inside. And then ran in and went under the table in their chairs, and then he smelled the gas. And within seconds... Oh, I was not expecting that. Okay. I don't know what I was expecting, but not gas. And within seconds, the dining room is just, like, bursting into flames. And the door to outside, yes, the door to outside is slammed shut and locked. So they cannot get out. Specifically, Fritz, the one who had originally noticed the gas coming through, his clothes and hair had actually caught fire, but he jumped out the window next to where he was and rolled down the hill and was able to like reduce the flames from rolling down in the grass. He was a little bit luckier because for whatever reason, Julian didn't either notice that he jumped out or wasn't able to get to him in time. But when others tried to do this, Julian started hitting them with the ax when they were trying to escape through the windows. I hate this so much. It's certainly very violent. Do we know why Julian was so angry or are you like, gonna get into that later because it seems like he needed to take a time out yeah i'll i'll get into that in a little bit okay i I just asking for a friend so it's at this point that 35 year old master carpenter billy weston he was the one who was there with his kid and then the landscape gardener david lindblom also managed to escape william i mentioned billy he went by both names that had escaped had actually been hit by Julian, but was able to make it away because Julian thought he hit him and killed him, but he was able to take off. They ended up running the three that escaped about a half a mile away to a house nearby to call for help, basically. Once it's all said and done, Emil Burdell had died right away. He died there. William's son, Ernest Weston, Thomas Brunker, and... David Lindblom, who was another one that had escaped, all eventually died from their wounds a few days later. I was really hoping that they had survived since they got out. No, unfortunately, two of them did. Herbert Fritz and William Weston did survive. However, William lost his 13-year-old son as well during this whole endeavor. Which is just terrible. Uh, Terrible that anybody died, but, like, I couldn't imagine that. Anyway, they... 
they had made it to the neighbors and authorities and neighbors get to the scene and they end up a few hours later, they found Julian Carlton alive. He had been hiding inside a furnace in one of the outhouses, I believe, and he had swallowed what was believed to be a lethal dose of hydrochloric acid. And he still actually had the hatchet in his hand. So, But he was still alive when they found him. Yes, he was alive and they end up arresting him. At this point, when Julian's being brought out, there is this huge crowd. And I guess they're obviously yelling. They're mad. And he says one thing. He says, they'd better let me live if they expect to find out something. Interesting tactic. Didn't he just try to kill himself? Yeah. Okay, just making sure I had it right. (laughs) I'm assuming his hope was that he would die before he was taken. I'm really glad he didn't, though. And I hope that they pumped his stomach and he survived and then they... I'll let you go. (laughs) Funny you say that. Oh, okay. He died. (laughs) Dang it. He was taken to prison and he he refused to give any information. Um, He ended up dying of starvation because his esophagus and stomach was just damaged from the acid he swallowed and he, he couldn't eat. Well, it sounds like a painful death, so I'm okay with it. Right, no kidding. At least we have that. So Erica mentioned earlier motive or what was up with it, why he was so grumpy, basically. <laughs> and it was never conclusively determined. There's a lot of theories that went around. He Before he died, it pled not guilty. And like I said, he refused to say why he did it or what had happened. They did talk to his wife. I guess right after they had served the food, he told his wife to leave, basically. So he clearly had some intent on doing this. But there's some witnesses that had said Wright had been looking for someone to fill his position. So likely Julian was getting fired. And his wife said that they were actually going to go to Chicago and search for new work. So a lot of people think... He was very disgruntled at the situation. And there was also some rumors about um, maybe people, workers or Frank Lloyd Wright or what have you, throwing around some um, racist terms against him and not being very nice (laughs) or a decent human to him, which who knows if it's true or not, but I wouldn't, I don't think it's that far-fetched. I do find it interesting that the time that he decided to attack was a time that Frank Lloyd wasn't even there. It strikes me as him trying to make it even worse for Frank Lord Wright because he has to live with it, is my interpretation. That's my interpretation, too. It's just rare to see that. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Right. Like, people usually take their anger out on the person that they're angry with, not the loved ones. Unless it's a movie, then they do that. Mm-hmm. You guys could probably gather from, like, the grotesqueness of this act. He was a little unhinged. There was something really wrong. Uh, Gertrude had mentioned that I guess he'd been really paranoid leading up to this and that he'd even kept a hatchet in a bag next to his bed when he slept. So there was something going on leading up to it. It wasn't just a spur of the moment thing. Julian had done that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. The fire burnt down a lot of the house. Only the studio and the agricultural buildings had survived. However, they did rebuild Taliesin and that ended up being done by the end of 1914, so pretty quickly after the attacks had happened. And then Wright actually continued to use this as a place to stay in his studio until he ended up dying uh, in 1959. Can you say that again? He continued to stay in 
the house that a giant murder took place in? Oh, yes. He, yes. Why? I'm guessing because it was one of his works and he didn't want it to... I don't know. That's my guess. I couldn't tell you. I'd have no idea what was going through his brain for that. You didn't ask him? No, I did not. When I was still alive in 1959, it never came up. I am just very curious. I, I don't think I could do that. I don't know that I could either. I guess pretty shortly after, he ended up finding another woman that he started a relationship with. Eventually, his um, original wife, I think it was 1922, she divorced him. And then his second wife, I know they had some issues as well. I don't know the details of it. There's a lot of, because of who Frank Lloyd Wright was, you can find a lot of information about him and his life. I didn't dive too deep into it because it's not really the, you know, conversation of this case and this story. But the house still stands today. It is a Frank Lloyd Wright Museum. It's actually a National Historic Landmark, and you can visit it. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.